inspiration for the story of George's captivity is um, uh, was uh, taken from a gentleman called Terry Waite. Okay. I don't know if you've ever heard that name. Sounds familiar. Terry was a, it was a big news story at the time. He was a, a special envoy for the Archbishop of Canterbury. And uh, one of his responsibilities was negotiating for the release of hostages in Lebanon at the time. And uh, he was tricked and was also taken uh, hostage. And, and Terry was actually uh, incarcerated for five years, four of which, similar to George, were um, in solitary confinement. Right? So without uh, access to other prisoners or what have you. And uh, he was released after uh, five years and again, reemerged into a world that had five years is a long time. You said four years in solitary? Yes, and five years, almost five years in total, if I've got those, I think I've got those numbers right. And uh, I make it even more challenging for George because uh, he's uh, assumed by the world to be deceased. Uh, We knew that Terry was uh, alive, (laughs) and, uh, but he does reemerge into, um, after after five years, can you imagine being in prison for five years? JCV Art Studio. Yep, that's my new name. I'm shortening. I'm trying to be more strategic. I'm trying to be more uh, better managing my time. My name is Joanna, and today I have returning Amazon best-selling author Gordon Mott on the podcast. Gordon and I have talked about his hugely popular novel, Lithuanian Lullaby, on previous on a previous podcast and today we are going to talk about Gordon's second novel The Angels of Clypedia I think Clypedia 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 okay yeah. okay so Gordon how are you it's good to I'm see you I'm well Joanna it's great to see you uh I, you know I'm a, as I mentioned previously I'm a, a listener of your program and uh, I have to say I was so happy that it looks like I'm not alone. I uh, received so much feedback from my um, from our talk a few months ago on uh, Lithuanian lullaby. It's uh, it's great to be here. How are you doing? I'm I'm doing well. I'm I've retired and it's wonderful. <laughs> it's wonderful. Um, but the crazy thing is, there are times when Sunday evening I'll be like, oh, I didn't get this done. And just because I'm used to thinking that I have to go to the office on the Monday. So 
it, it's like, I don't want to call it PTSD, but it's just like the brain needs to catch up with the, the and it does it takes uh take i took an early retirement too a little while back and uh, it takes a while and you feel kind of guilty monday yeah. morning shouldn't i be doing something <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. not doing this anyway yeah so i'm keeping with some of my practices of you know at the of work i would write monday and the things i needed to get done and gordon i have to do that and so that's what i do now is monday this is what I need to do, right? Or Tuesday. So just to give me some sort of, um, I don't want to say structure, right? So anyways, let's talk about your book. Okay. First of all, your book covers, they always have meaning behind them. So please tell me about the title of the new book. And now I know I did a quick Google search. It's not like I did extensive research. Klaipeda? It, that's the name of a city in Lithuania, right? It is. It's a uh, it's a coastal city. Okay. In Lithuania, so um, where to start? Uh, are you look, uh, you know maybe I'll start with the. Uh, do you want a little bit of an overview of what the book's about? I I, I know you've read it. Yeah. But uh, maybe for listeners, I'll give a yeah. little overview. You know, maybe I'll start with a cover. Actually, yeah. the the cover is kind of special. Um, to me, it's a uh, it's a uh, depiction of a river which flows into the Baltic Sea. So Klaipeda uh, is on the on the Baltic Sea, and in the foreground there's some um, some ships, and in the background there's some some houses. Um, so this sketch, I have the original of this sketch. It was given to me thirty years ago. I was working in Klaipeda. I was teaching, and some of the uh, the kids. Uh, got together and bought me this beautiful uh, sketch. Um, and I love that sketch, Joanna. I have, it's traveled around the world with me um, over those 30 years. I don't know how many dozens of walls it's it's graced in, in, uh, in a number of different countries. Uh, and I, um, I've always looked at that sketch and those old German houses in the background wondered who would live in those old German houses. It used to be a German city. Yeah. And as I began writing The Angels of Clyde, I realized this is where Tanya should live. Okay. So I, in my mind, I actually even decided where, which uh, unit she would live in, in that house. She would be on the top, in the middle house. She would be on the top floor. So she's, uh, Tanya's a main character in this. She's lived in, in the United States. She's lived in um, Britain, but she really uh, is in love with her hometown, which is Klaipeda. Mm -hmm. And during this book, she returns to it. And this is where she she lives in that, uh, in that beautiful house in the background in the, in the cover. Good. So, but there's more to the book than just the cover. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The title. How did you come up with the title? The Angels of Klaipeda is, um, so there's a lot of spiritual stuff in this book. There's a lot of references to uh, Sunni and Shia business that's occurring um, in the Middle East. And there's also a, a theme of um, Lithuanian mythology. So there's a uh, mention of dream interpretation and, and, and the like, and a long discussion about storks that play a very important role in, both in Lithuanian culture as well as um, in this book, uh, particularly in the last uh, in the last uh, chapter. So that's where the that's where the the title uh, that's where the title inspiration for the title came from. 
Good. I, oh, and I, so I meant to, I didn't finish my story about the uh, uh, about the the cover. So I, you know, I decided that I wanted to use that cover, but I uh, <laughs> I needed to find the uh, the artist, and so that became a whole interesting. When you write books, you have all these side stories that occur when when you're yeah. you're producing them. I'm sure you've had the same. And so I actually was able to find him. His name is Antanas Yaxtis, and he's a, he's still in Klaipeda. He's in his seventies. Mm-hmm. A very very nice fellow. You know, it's funny. I in in my first book, I mentioned that everybody in Lithuania is known by somebody. There's very little way to escape. <laughs> and I, it only took a couple of calls for me to find uh, where he was. And uh, we were able to have a chat. And uh, he was very agreeable to using the, uh, letting me use his uh, cover. So he's, uh, I'm very grateful to him. Okay. So the book itself, it's, um, it's actually about reemergence. Okay. So in the novel, Tanya and George, who are a couple, they, are, they live in uh, Britain, and he goes on a business trip to, to Beirut, and he's actually taken a hostage in a, um, in a taxi heist. In a convoluted way, he eventually ends up um, being held by Hezbollah, but the British intelligence reports that he's deceased, that he's dead. So he spends two years in captivity and without knowing that that's the case. And in fact, his captors don't even know that that's the case. And then when he finally does get released a little over two years later, uh, he's released into a world that's moved on without, without him. So his wife has moved on. She's, uh, she's left Britain to, for Klaipeda. She's, uh, she's gotten involved in a relationship. She um, she's pregnant. Yeah. Uh, as a result of that relationship, she um, he they have one child before he leaves, and she was expecting another. So they uh, now he's got two children that he's he's uh, fathered one that he's never met, and his parents have passed away. So the whole world has has moved on without him. And you know, it's it, not only his personal world, but. Joanna, you might remember those times in 1990s. They were a China, uh, some call it the information explosion, right? Yeah. Things were changing so quickly. We went from uh, uh, email being almost unheard of at the beginning of the decade to uh, everyone had a, an email account somewhere, uh, uh, kind of towards the end in the industrialized world anyway. And the... Um, so when he reemerges, technology, the, the, really the, the actual world has moved on with him. The world of technology has moved on and there's things that he can't identify or, and processes he can't figure out, right, that are, that are quite a change. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's about uh, disappearing and then reemerging in a world that um, is, is different. Yeah, 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 that's so true. That's so true. <sighs> yeah, I just, I remember on a smaller scale, um, one of my decisions for after we had both our daughters, it was, I'm going to keep working. And that would have been, Kara would have been born 1991. And I just, I had this feeling that if I stepped out of the workforce, I would be left behind. Because like you said, email, Hmm? computers, we were just, we went from a word processor to working on a computer. And I thought if I stepped out of the work force for about six to seven years that everything I had learned would be useless, you know? So just like you said, that's when everything exploded. 
information yes. wise. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible, uh, incredible changes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what I'm curious about is how has the Angels of Clypeda been doing? Because I was thinking about this. You basically, you came out of the gate with your first novel, Lithuanian Lullaby, and it was huge, right? Huge, very popular. And then I was always, for me, I've, I know with The Unraveling and then Dealer's Child, I have my own expectations where I thought mm-hmm. Dealer's yeah. Child has to be as good as or better. So how are you, how did you find writing The Angels of Clypeda with having had such success with your first book? <laughs> well, I, it was, I can say it was motivating. Um, so uh, I think you're aware Lullaby was, uh, uh, was an incredible success. Uh, Angels hasn't, hasn't, gotten to that level unfortunately and i think it's unfortunate because i think it's a better book uh the um i learned a lot Uh, lithuanian lullaby was my first uh novel that i'd uh, written and and i learned a lot uh going into that second novel and uh it's a you know this is i would uh depict uh the angels as um reflecting triumph for you know at times over adversity yeah. uh, it's finding hope where hope you know doesn't seem to exist and yeah. it also talks a lot about the need for or uh, underlies a lot of the need for love and human contact human touch there's a lot of time spent in this book on uh the need for 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 being touched and, and being accepted right and it's a um it's a beautiful book so i hope at some point, it'll get this, the wind in it that Lullaby did yeah, yeah. <laughs> and do as well. Uh, that would be a nice treat. Yeah. So how soon after did you write with, um, the, Angel, the Angels of Clypeda after Lithuanian Lullaby? Like, did you have any break in between or just did you keep going? And I love your pronunciation. That didn't take much. I just went... <laughs> <laughs> Actually, the locals, <laughs> the locals actually have a little bit of a nasal accent, and they call it Klaipeda. <laughs> but uh, that is a uh, but uh, uh, is excellent pronunciation. Uh, okay. uh, I started within about a month of okay. uh, release of um, Lullaby. You know that motivation uh, was hard to uh, to set aside. So uh, Lullaby came out in February. And Angels came out in, in July. It was an easy book okay. to write, uh, surprisingly, because it, it took a lot of time. Yeah. <laughs> but it was just something, you know, sometimes uh, as a writer, you can get to a point where you think, I just can't push this, right? I can't figure out what's going to happen or where this, pers- uh, this person uh, should go. Yeah. Uh, in uh, uh, The Angels, that, that never really happened. It was a, uh, they were very... The characters were very fluid and and uh, predictable in my own mind as to what they should do, and uh, so it was uh, an easy easy book uh, to read. So to write, so I had it done in uh, just a couple of months, and then got it out uh, within the summer, which is a, a very quick turnaround. Actually, that's so excellent. I was pleased with it. Yeah, that's excellent. Okay, now Lithuanian Lullaby has its own cast of characters, um, but it's neat to see that you've brought over Darius as well as George and Tanya into the second book. Um, so 
what was that spark that made you want to write Tanya's story? Uh, that's uh, that's a good question. Um, you know, as as a as a writer, and uh, it's nice that you're a writer and interviewing writers because I think you can you can probably relate. It's so easy to fall in love with your characters, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I'm I'm really. Uh, you know, I'm very much in love with uh, George and Darius. And fr- from my first book, the reader's choice uh, was was a, a Hungarian t- teenager called Vana, yeah. who is extremely popular. And there was a lot of pressure to write about Vana. But I uh, I like Tanya. Um, she's she's special. She's quite. Uh, she's not very intellectual. She's lived in two English-speaking countries, the United States and Britain, and still struggles with. Um, with English. Okay. Uh, she's not business oriented, unlike the Vanna that uh, was popular in Lithuanian lullaby. She's very, um, she's very uh, focused on her family. Um, she's, uh, you know, she has two, uh, one child at the beginning of the book and, and quickly has her second and then eventually a third one. And she's also got a Down syndrome brother that she's very, very uh, attached to. Um, she, ha- she emanates this kind of in- intrinsic kindness. Yeah. She also has, she also has strong morals about her life. And I think, Joanna, that's what I wanted to test a little bit. So she's, she's, uh, I guess I wanted to see how she would react under pressure. So she's always had an emotional support. Uh, She, she actually gets married from her mother's, uh, she leaves her mother's flat. So her mother was her emotional support during her childhood and teenage years, and then uh, marries this, uh, this George, the American. And now she's deserted. So he's passed away in her mind, he's gone and she has to make decisions. And so she decides to leave London and, and return to her, um, to her homeland where she has some supports. Uh, she's still got a stepfather that's there. And um, she's, 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 she's a sweet character. She's also very gullible. And so she falls into difficult situations uh, and uh, she falls into a difficult relationship. And she's just, she's a very interesting uh, character. And when she's forced to make those decisions, because not only is she making decisions for herself now, but for her family, it's a decision about how she supports her brother. Yeah. Which becomes an important, leads to an important plot line in the book, right? And um, so there we are. I won't give away the plot line, but uh, it's a, uh, that's, uh, that's why I chose Tanya. Okay, and we're going to talk more about characters and and heroines within in our books. I was also curious about your research in this novel too. So, I mean, you had I remember you had some great stories from our last podcast, and one of the questions you had asked me, you had mentioned the story of how one of the individuals who read Lithuanian lullaby he wanted you to write, I think it was his wife's name in the character. And you had asked me, you said, tell me if you can pick it out. And I, honestly, I had, I got the book out again and I was reading it and I could not pick out which, because you were wondering if, if the wife's name stood out and it, it didn't stand out for me. I thought, oh, that's good. I thought, no, <laughs> I can't tell, right? Yeah. So I was wondering what the, 
what the research was for this novel or and if you had stories similar oh there's story. always stories joanna <laughs> the uh, um uh yes i uh that uh, you've got a great memory i uh yeah that was a uh, uh that was something to have uh to include a cameo appearance by somebody's wife in in lullaby and uh yeah it was a great uh you know and, and i was kind of chuffed that somebody would even ask that yeah. uh it, you know there's a as you know there's a lot of if you're writing historical fiction there's a lot of research yeah. and this one in some ways uh Klaipeda, the name of the book is is really Klaipeda just acts as a backdrop in some ways but it's actually the Lebanese storyline those two years of history yeah. that took a lot of research um and you know when I started working on this book I had a Lebanese friend and I mentioned what I was thinking about I mentioned the plot line, what I was thinking about. And he gave me some really good advice. He said, don't write about Islamic terrorism and don't write about Lebanon. Okay. And I took that as a challenge and I wrote about both. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, but I, I wanted to take it from a different perspective. So I think in some cases, there's, there's, there's a lot of sensitivity around events in Lebanon in that period. Yeah. And, um, but there's also the reality of over a hundred hostages were taken in the eighties and nineties. And um, the, the Islamic terrorism, there's a, there's a lot of sensitivity uh, with Muslim people about writing about it uh, because it's often depicted as them being the bad guys. Yeah. So I wanted to, I wanted to use one of the characters so we have these events that are unfolding. There's no doubt that they occur. Uh, terrorism is a big uh, piece of infecting the world in uh, 80s, 90s, and right up to uh, you know September 11th, 2001. The um, but what was the impetus behind this? Right? What is it that uh, what is it that created this? So I use a character, Lamia, and who is sympathetic uh, to Hezbollah. And I try to let the events that are unfolding around her be depicted through her eyes. Okay. Right? So she's being, she's listening to George, who's yeah. uh, who's a teacher, yeah. an American who lives lived in Britain and other places, and um, so she's listening to his perspective, but she's quite keen to tell her own perspective of what's going on in the Middle East. Yeah. And so I, I try to take something that. It, we shouldn't talk about and talk about it, yeah. but talk about it from a different different perspective than it's normally uh, depicted. And you know what? There's some there's some irony though here. You talk about the uh, interesting stories about a book. Yeah. So I had trouble. This is uh, you know I depict a world of secrets in this book when it comes to uh, the uh, talk about Hezbollah and Al Qaeda is also uh, referenced in this book. There's Afghanistan that's referenced, and there's a character that's in Afghanistan, and Yemen is actually mentioned in this yeah. book as well. And I try to depict the world of secrets that they that they that they live in, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, they're very secretive organizations, Al Qaeda and Hezbollah. And um, what was interesting though, when I talk about don't write about it, is I struggled finding a story reader. You struggled finding a story reader? Yeah. So no matter how much research uh, I would do into a topic, no matter how much personal information I might have, I always put it out to somebody that has 
um, lived through that specific period. Yeah. Uh, because what, what I often find, Joanna, is things like cultural nuances, right? They'll pick up and say, no, no, that person would never say that because. <laughs> and so they would say, say this. So I, for the Lebanese storyline, I really struggled um, in finding somebody that was qualified. So yeah. they had to be uh, very literate and well-spoken and what have you and understand and also had lived through that period. And when I finally did find someone uh, and it was uh, through a friend, a friend of a friend, uh, that person asked that they not be identified. Yeah. And you know what's interesting about that? It, it's it's fascinating. So that sensitivity uh, around the time period and the location and, and this kind of thing, it wasn't when I was negotiating with the story reader on the, uh, the pieces of this book, it it reminded me of if you'd written about life in Eastern Europe, yeah. uh, you know, 30 years ago, when there was still the communists or just after the communists had finished or maybe in the late 80s or mid 80s or what have you, you would have had the same kind of thing. So I think you would have found people that would say, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll be glad to help you, but don't mention my name. <laughs> Because yeah. <laughs> there'll be repercussions or yeah. potentially repercussions. So uh, yeah, it, was, it turned into, uh, so there's your interesting sideline story. I, I did get my story reader. Great advice. Yeah. Uh, but uh, there's, uh, that's part of the research uh, piece of that novel, right? So not only is it all about uh, wrapping your head around pieces of uh, information on the internet and what have you, but then you also have to have to work that pieces in to make sure that you've positioned your characters properly, right? So yeah, well, that's here we are. I know, like now, I'm working on the book I'm working on now. I, I have it's. I have a section that takes place close to D-Day, and I have the RCAF, Royal Canadian Air Force, mm -hmm. and the RAF. And like you, I'm thinking, okay, I need someone who's flown planes. <laughs> right? I need yep. someone who's flown planes been in the RAF or RCAF, right, to look at what I'm writing. And lo and behold, I get a letter and a newsletter from Sisters in Crime. And we have a member whose husband was flown those planes. And I'm just like, hallelujah. Yes. <laughs> you know, like, you know. So anyway, anyways. And, I mean, and no, you can't, you can't really, um, when you do a draft and you and you, and you uh, go through something like that, it's it's easy to um, come up with something. Yeah. But then once you've heard how they operate a plane or, or or whatever and the sequences, and you go back and you repeat those sequences, suddenly that that whole scene comes to life. It becomes much more. Uh, and and I'm sure most readers wouldn't know how to operate a plane, but once you've spoken to somebody and then you can go through their starting procedure and what have you, uh, it sounds credible because it is credible. Yeah. You know, it's a. Uh, so well, that's fantastic. Well, it's like your name, my name. They're on these books, and that's a reputation. Yeah, right? it is. Yeah, so, absolutely. So then, thinking of your book, it sounds like you did take some real events and weave them into the story with Angels of Clypeda. Like, oh, yeah. So yeah. it's a it's a historical fiction. So yeah. there's a um, there's a lot of uh, references to real people and, and and real events and real locations and uh, and I, actually the inspiration for the story of George's captivity is. Um, uh, was uh, taken from a gentleman called Terry Waite. Okay. Don't know if you've ever heard that name. Sounds but familiar. 
Terry was a, it was a big news story at the time. He was a, a special envoy for the Archbishop of Canterbury. And uh, one of his responsibilities was negotiating for the release of hostages in Lebanon at the time. And uh, he was tricked and was also taken uh, hostage. And, and Terry was actually uh, incarcerated for five years, four of which, similar to George, were um, in solitary confinement. Right? So without uh, access to other prisoners or what have you. And uh, he was released after uh, five years and again, reemerged into a world that had five years is a long time. Is and four years in solitary? Yes, and five years, almost five years in total. If I've got those, I think I've got those numbers right. Yeah. And uh, I make it even more challenging for George because I, uh, he's uh, assumed by the world to be deceased. Uh, we knew that Terry was uh, alive, <laughs> and uh, but he does uh, reemerge into um, after five after five years. Can you imagine being in prison for five years? I couldn't imagine. Okay, so with this pandemic, and uh, you know, like I'm, I you know, just I, when I was working, I was working from home, and not seeing coworkers, and they're you know just feeling starved for people and interaction with people. So with Terry, I couldn't imagine four years and solitary confinement, not seeing anyone. Well, you know, and this is a this is uh, this is a theme that I try to really push. So, George really struggles with his mental health in yeah. that basement, right? And it's a and it, what's what's interesting is that when he finally gets a friend uh, who's willing to spend time with him and and talk with him, uh, you know, he grasps on to that, and but also uh, he. It's a touch too, right? So it's the um, hu human contact isn't, uh, he finds that not only does he need someone to talk to, but just having someone to touch is really important, right? Yeah. It's a, uh, we're very strange mammals and we need that uh, kind of real, I shouldn't say we're strange mammals, all mammals need that kind of attention. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's uh, you know, that's how Terry must have felt in that, uh, in, during his time. Well, and you can see it um, with um, George's, relationship with the daughter which we will get we will get we will you know upper captors we'll, we will get <laughs> right so i want your point of view so i've started i think it will be a new series i'll go back to the old one but i've i've started a book with a new heroine and i'm just thinking i never thought i would but do you agree or disagree that when you are writing a series, like I never thought I'd start a new series, that when you're writing a series, that character, it's almost like I, like I say, they need to show their mettle. They need to be strong. They are carrying, in my eyes, a story on their shoulder, this new character. So do you feel that, because we have Tanya now, and like you said, Vanna in the first book, right? two strong females do you feel that a new character in a new book they need to show their strength to carry that story like there has to be some sort of strength in that character like you just can't pick any character and start a story that's that's my view they got to be strong what do you think 
Yeah, well, you know what? I, I I don't know. That's a that's a tricky question because yeah. it's a um, and my my characters, they have a funny way of um, uh, going from weak to strong, and some yeah. of the stronger ones move from uh, strong to weak, and and I often start strong characters by showing their vulnerabilities. Yeah. I, I think that somehow makes them the reader more uh, realize why they act in such a strong way when you, they've shown you those uh, vulnerabilities. But, you know, it, thinking about the angel, so that I do introduce a character called Mantis and um, Mantis is, is actually strong antagonist at some points in the book. And then at the end, it's not clear whether these protagonists are antagonistic, but he starts as quite a meek character. Right. Mm-hmm. He's a, a tutor and uh, very, he comes across as being fairly cerebral and uh, very logical. And um, he, uh, he progresses in the, uh, in the novel to sort of a role as a schemer, okay. uh, almost as a legend. You know, there's one, there's one scene in there. I don't, I don't know if you recall it, where I think you could even uh, accuse him of, of committing a sexual assault. Okay. Okay. And and I think I would have to go to the Crown Prosecution Service for an opinion on that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I won't give it away to readers. But yeah. he's 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 got this kind of evil side to him. Yeah. Uh, but then um, in the end, he seems to have an epiphany, right? And he tries to he tries to redesign himself. So there's this concept of um, reform, right, yeah. within within a person. So that's a long-winded answer to your question, but I, I guess it's to say that I don't know. Because <laughs> I usually have, I usually start with uh, uh, showing weaknesses and build uh, to stronger characters. Yeah. Uh, I guess that's just the way that I'm more comfortable in, in, comfortable in doing it. Well, even before you, you were saying how you're, you had mentioned, I'd written it down, the words under pressure and seeing how the character handles the situation under pressure. Like that's a great, great test. If you're writing a character, you know, like <laughs> turn up the heat, right? You do. You know? And you know what? It's, it's interesting. It's interesting you should say that because the, so when I turn up the heat on Tanya, she reacts in ways that she's uncomfortable. Yeah. And I think we've all been in that. Right? So there's when you're when you're tested from a, if you're put under a high stress environment over a long period of time, you start to react in ways that make you feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sometimes because it, it's expedient or because it makes sense or because the pressure on you to do it is is this way. And she actually bemoans towards the end of the book and says she really wants to be more like the person that she she was before. Yeah. Uh, before she got under all this pressure, right? Which is, and I think we've all felt like that too at times yeah. in, our, in our lives, right? Well, on a totally different note about that, I found with building this house and trying to get appliances, um, I have never been so assertive, right? Yes. <laughs> Over a a uh, a cooktop because. You, we need a cook. We needed a cooked. We were getting a cooktop. We've paid for this cooktop, and we ordered it last July. And then we were told, "No, you're not going to get it till April of 2022." And I remember Gordon, like you said, under pressure. And I literally, I just said to the salesperson, "I'm like, okay, I'm taking the floor model. Tell me how much it is. I'm giving you my visa." And I've never been that in your face 
I'm taking it. <laughs> I, I, like, you find me a floor model because my whole house construction is going to grind to a halt if I don't get this cooktop. <laughs> right? You know? Well, you know, this is it. And sometimes yeah. it's sometimes it's a, so I talked about pre- pressure over a long yeah. period of time, but sometimes it's just in the moment, right? And yeah. there's some depictions actually of what happens to Tanya having been forced with it. Something even more serious than a house construction, yeah. you know, the dissolution of her life, yeah. uh, that uh, she goes into a conversation wanting to have a very clear uh, and uh, friendly conversation over an issue and just explodes, right? Yeah. Because the, her interlocutor says the wrong thing. <laughs> and and sometimes you can't, uh, sometimes even the p- people that try to control them are emotions the most, yeah. sometimes it just, and in fact, they're the most likely to, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. boom, right? It's yeah. a, uh, or can be the most likely to yeah. boom and just lose it. Right? So yeah. it's a, there we yeah. are. Oh, God. Yeah, that's so true. Okay. So, you know, the reason why I was curious about the characters, it's just I found with myself, like I'm, I've am i got book three, rough draft with my Jade and Sage series. And for the longest time, I didn't think I would start another series because I didn't think I had a character strong enough. And then because of book three, this other character has come out named Coco. And it's like, I thought, Coco could lead another series, right? Like mm-hmm. she's strong enough. So that, that's why I was curious about, you know, characters and, and starting different books, thinking of Vanna and thinking of Tanya, right? And you know, when you write, sometimes you never know. Yeah. And so I'll confess and, um, that when I introduce a character, I never know where they're going to go. Right. And the, um, and some of them, uh, uh, wouldn't be appropriate to carry on to. Uh, yeah. And some of them are just, they're, they're magical. The uh, Vanna, for example, from uh, Lullaby, just people just gravitated to the strength of that character. It was um, so it's funny, and I, I never in te- I didn't know where she was going when she was seventeen and cutting through a fence, <laughs> and 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 hiding in U- and hiding in the UK and getting you know abused by uh, smugglers and her boyfriend and and what have you. I never, and then eventually this guy comes along and offers to marry her just because uh, he he wants a wife and she just wants a way to stay and and yeah. and get out of the situation that she's in and, and stay in the UK yeah. and uh and then from there she, her whole trajectory of that character changes right and she becomes yeah. stronger and stronger and stronger and she uses that information to become stronger right she uses her background it makes her stronger so it's yeah, uh, yeah. so you're it's uh, it's a funny world you never know yeah so you've had a great review you've had great reviews and exposure in Bridges, the Lithuanian American News Journal. So that must have, that's, you had a great review in there. That must have felt pretty damn good. Yeah, I, I, yeah it, it certainly did. I, um, you know, I think I'm running out of words to thank the uh, international Lithuanian community. <laughs> I feel like I've been adopted by uh, 10 million people who are incredibly loyal. Even people that haven't read the book uh, send me nice notes and say, oh, it's fantastic that we're writing about something that's, uh, there's a lot of uh, camaraderie uh, amongst, uh, uh, you know, the the national comfort. And, you know, it's it's interesting. I make a joke. um, And, but I I, almost feel like I'm part of that uh, culture now right okay. it's a uh, because i've been so uh 
uh, welcomed and, and supported and, and cheerled along uh, after Lithuanian lullaby. Uh, it's a, and it, this, this country, they have, I think people have a strong affinity to this country for many reasons. It's a small country and, and what have you, but this was also a country that was, uh, through its history, so Lithuania was an empire for hundreds of years, from about the 13th century, almost to 1800. And it was a, um, uh, it was a, uh, it was a significant size at its peak, right? It contained uh, most of Central Europe, uh, Belarus, uh, Poland, Latvia, parts of Estonia, uh, Russia, most of the Ukraine, parts of Moldova. I'm sure I'm missing uh, bits and pieces. Slovakia and uh, bits of Romania, I think were in there as well. And there was something that was kind of unique about Lithuan that Lithuanian Commonwealth, Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth towards the end of its uh, tenure in the 18th uh, century, at a time when nationalism was starting to crop up in Europe and um, uh, anti-Semitic uh, and religious intolerance were starting to uh, to occur in parts of particularly Western Europe. Uh, the Commonwealth was actually a multi-ethnic and multi-religious state, um, very tolerant to, uh, and so within Lithuania itself, there were German speakers, Russian speakers, Polish speakers. Uh, um, uh, there was even a Scottish community, if you can believe it. Uh, and, and Vilnius was actually one of the centers of, of European Judaism. Um, okay. So, with all those people, I think as an English Protestant might have a role there. I might be able to get adoption if, uh, <laughs> if I wanted it. <laughs> so I'm very, I'm chuffed by the whole experience. It's been, uh, it's been wonderful. That's um, good. Wonderful. That's good. Good, good. So being an indie author, I'm thinking about marketing. I'm thinking about promotion. And, uh, you know, we were talking about this before we started recording about book sales and uh, like I, I mailed a, one of my books to a lady in Victoria. And as I'm doing it, I'm talking to the postmaster. And she was interested in the book. So immediately I sold her a book. Do you feel as an indie author, maybe not even as an indie author, even as a traditional author, that you are always trying to market, you're always trying to sell, you're always trying to promote. Do you, and I have to give a shout out, Cam Anderson, if you are listening, I do have your business plan and thank you. I will be looking at that. But do you feel that you are always trying to market and promote? Like I'm, I'm even thinking of Lithuanian Lullaby. It, you're still promoting it along with Angels of Klaipeda, right? Like, do you feel that? Yes. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I don't know where to start with that uh, question. It, you know, firstly, you mentioned somebody that um, uh, Cam Anderson, who's well known in the West Coast of Canada in the arts community. And uh, a, a little uh, side note, it's kind of ironic that you brought it up, because actually, if you look at the Angels of Glypeta, he is a uh, contributor. Uh, he appears in the um, acknowledgments and uh, Cam did a great uh, job on it as well. He was one of my story readers and uh, pointed to a part in that book and said, uh, that has to be reread, uh, rewritten. <laughs> <laughs> and I rewrote that and it was very sage wisdom. And I rewrote that section, I don't know how many uh, dozens of times until I could get it 
up to a specification that he was uh, found he found acceptable so uh, i'm very grateful to cam it's a lovely name thanks for bringing it up yeah. um yeah it's funny isn't it because when you're an author you think if you're a first-time author i would uh absolutely tell you be prepared to hawk your books because yeah. Yeah. <laughs> one thing to write them quite another uh thing to uh to get them sold yeah. and uh it's uh it's been a journey for, and i was a little bit lucky because i had some press coverage so which is uh yeah. i could use to uh to sort of push that out a little bit but um i never had a social media presence yeah. a year ago and so this was all new um stuff and um it, it's interesting uh so you if you're writing you also have to be a marketer yeah and marketing is was very exciting it wasn't something that i knew that i was going to have to learn but quickly learned uh knew that i quickly realized i had to learn it and um you spend um ah, i in the run up to christmas i must have spent at least an hour or two every day over a month or six weeks on Facebook, oh, wow. uh, trying to get find the demographic for uh, for my books. It is rewarding, though. I don't know if you've ever had this. When you when you do get into that vein, right, you find that area of the internet where yeah. the, your demographic exists, yeah. and you start well, on Facebook. You start getting those clicks, and people write nice things and what have you. <laughs> um, but when you start to, to to hit that it, it's so rewarding because about two to three days later you see the amazon bar graphs going up <laughs> so that's the sales graphs right so it's a uh, so the uh, by the time that uh, you know that uh, you you've you've hit the demographic and then it the, you you it, it appears when it's shipped so if they go that day or the next day it doesn't appear until that book's actually been shipped out of amazon and so it's it is very rewarding so it's kind of a neat thing to play with okay now i've got uh all this attention here and bang there it is over a few days later on the on the other graph so it's 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 rewarding but it's a lot of work yeah yeah okay okay so why do you like writing I would say historical books about times in the past. Um, the Angels of Klaipeda, it takes place in the 1990s. Lithuanian Lullaby was between 1987 and 1997. And I'm curious, when I wrote this question, I was thinking about it. I thought, why does he like writing about this time period, right? And I was thinking about our current time period, mm -hmm. where I feel like... Uh, information is coming at us so fast there's information everywhere you you turn anything on you have information coming at you so why the past why this time period oh um so i love history yeah and um and i guess i guess you and i was also a part of that history right so i was uh i was a young man when those 80s and 90s uh and it uh, came around and what one thing that i did in the mid to late 80s i put a i put a backpack on okay and i uh and i traveled for the next almost a decade yeah and i lived in various uh places uh you know australia britain lithuania of course canada yeah and i did a, even a university degree in the interim i took 
did a year and then went off and then did two more years and then off again. And so it was just uh, a decade of, of, of learning and traveling. And, and I, and it, I spent a great deal of time in Southeast Asia, in China, all over Europe. I was uh, in Eastern Europe and, and East Germany uh, just after the, uh, the wall was breached and, and just before, um, uh, unification and they they were exciting times um and I, I guess there's a part of me that still wants to feel that freedom so when i write about that period i, I think i maybe i maybe i'm able to access that kind of open road with my backpack experience again yeah. it was uh because it, it all comes back and it's such an important period of world history that uh, 80s and 90s uh period yeah. uh so I guess that's the reason why I write. But you ask about social media and the like. So, and I, I suppose, yeah, I have to be a bit careful because I think each generation looks at the next one and says, "Oh my God, look at them." <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure our parents did it, and I'm sure our grandparents did it, and I'm uh, sure we do it to our children's generation. But you sort of look at it, and, and uh, but I do worry about. Um, you know, the impacts of social media and, and the information explosion on young people. Uh, I'm a, I'm kind of a neophyte to the world, uh, uh, to that world. And it's, uh, you know, I, I was, a, when the, the internet, my first exposure to the internet was, I thought this would, this would be great. You know, it expands uh, your, your worldview. But what I often see is that it often constricts it. So it actually does the, the opposite. You know, it should be a place for uh, intellectual you know, debate and discussion, but it often seems to promote it, the opposite, you know, intolerance, uh, oversimplification of issues. Um, you know, I think if I, if I were mentoring a, a young person starting their adult, adulthood in their late teens now and telling them what, they might want to think about in the years ahead. I might suggest that they put on a backpack and hit the open road. <laughs> it just because it just, and, and, and I'll, you know, I'll try to justify that. Yeah. Well, it comment. sounds wonderful. I, it does. During these times, I, as you're telling me this, I'm thinking, man, to be able to go with a backpack through Europe, yeah. like just thinking of what we are going through now, I'm like, oh, but go on. Sorry, I interrupted. Yeah. No, but I, it was a it was a, uh, a very welcome um, interruption because it gave me some time to think. <laughs> but um, you know, you're right. One of the things that one of the things that I think people should young people should think about is what are they going to think when they're old? Yeah. So, and what I mean by that is that so when you're someone's beginning adulthood, what are they going to think as they're leaving that adulthood? Uh, you know, sixty or eighty years old or, or later, <laughs> and what are they going to reflect upon? So, in the world of social media, um, I would suggest that the half hour that you spend in Tehran or in Ankara or Kuala Lumpur talking with some some man or some woman outside of a mosque or a train station or whatever. And that conversation changes your preconceptions about the world. Mm -hmm. That'll be the half an hour you remember. So when you're, uh, when you're in your eighties, that'll still be the story you're telling. Yeah. Uh, all those posts, yeah. 
they'll be forgotten. You won't yeah. even remember what they were about, right? Or how All many that hits stuff he, that, yeah. Or how many hits, and that that's important to, in their world, right? That's important to, in some people's world. Yeah. The how many hits and how many likes and how many this and that, and it really, um, in the scheme of things, it, and I, I hate to push push a perspective, but it's not that relevant compared yeah. to that half hour where you've uh, where you've realized that you're a part of a human race yeah. that has uh, a lot of things in common and that there's a way to bridge what appears to be divides right yeah. you can't do it on social media but you no. can do it on um, you can do it in person or maybe I'm just old school but I that would be my that would be my advice to that uh, 18 uh, year old who's wondering where to go in in the world okay that's cool that's cool because i was wondering i was wondering why this time period right so okay cool so i find with both novels that there's this underlying message of hope and i was wondering yeah you touched upon it a bit um what is it about besides the fact that i think everybody in lithuania loves you okay but what is it about lithuania and lebanon that drew you to want to write a novel in these countries? Wow, that's that's a good you know question. This um, when I started with the Lebanese uh, storyline, it was really going to be a kind of a subtext, right? It was for an excuse for uh, the storyline to exist, right? But it it was that the history is just fascinating. Joanna, it's um, and and actually, what I found was that the two countries, apart from beginning with the letter L, actually have quite a lot in common. And uh, that it sounds odd because both have been occupied by European powers uh, at some point, right? Uh, France uh, for Lebanon, Germany for um, uh, for Lithuania. They've been occupied uh, to some degree by neighbors. Uh, in the case of um, uh, Lithuania by the Soviet Union and uh, in Israel in the case of South Lebanon. And you know what's other what's other interesting is that I, I mentioned sort of religious tolerance in uh, Lithuania that existed up until the 20th century when the opposite occurred. Um, Lebanon is one of the important uh, birthplaces, if you like, of Christianity. Uh, plays a very important role in the uh, in the world of uh, early Christianity, and um, and yet then uh, we have all this uh, we have secular problems in the in the twentieth century, and in, and in Lithuania we have that um, uh, the German occupation during the war, which almost eliminates pretty much eliminates the Jewish uh, community. And, you know what? And it's, it's also kind of interesting. So thirty years ago. Lithuania began a journey. Uh, it declared its independence, and but, but more importantly, it declared its intent to become a democracy and join normal countries. And it didn't go well. Okay. So that ten years of that that nineteen nineties period in that country, it was very much associated with mob violence, mafia activity, a lot of police corruption. Um, Border customs corruption, yeah. um, and people were frustrated about it, um, but it didn't change much. And then, Joanna, a bunch of events occurred towards the end of the decade, and people were just 
fed up. Yeah. Uh, so the general populace, they were fed up with uh, this, uh, with being governed like this, right? Um, to be beholden to mobsters uh, in some cases, right? If you wanted to conduct a business, to to have a police that needed to be paid if you wanted them to investigate a crime, right? It was yeah. it became a kind of public revulsion, and things started to change. And so once you got into the years into the 21st century, it became their their century so far uh, mm-hmm. of progress and democracy and human rights and anti-corruption and, and what have you. And in some ways, I'd like to think that, so Lebanon just, I, I you, you may have caught this, I think it was the end of 2000, there was a big explosion mm-hmm. at the port in Beirut. I don't know if you recall that, it was a it was mm-hmm. a big deal. But what was interesting was the public revulsion that came after it. Right? Many people felt it was a result of poor governance, corruption, um, uh, and the like. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if that leads to someplace. Right? Yeah. Uh, Lebanon's been through a torturous time over the last um, several decades. Uh, it would be nice because that country deserves it to come out of that, right? And to find a way forward. And uh, and I, I think it will happen. I'm very optimistic, but uh, I'd like to think that this is their 1990s, right? That this is okay. their period of of, of imagining, uh, of, of coming to an end of something to begin something new. Interesting. Okay. Okay. So we're going to shift a little bit and talk about your characters again, uh, particularly it's the relationship uh, because George is being held hostage and Lamia is that? Yeah, Lamia. Okay. Now Lamia is 17. George is 28. He's being held hostage. He's married. And I was wondering, did you have any concerns about how readers may respond to George and Lamia's relationship? Well, I'm glad you caught that. And, I, and the answer is, yeah, I wanted that tension there. Okay. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's about, I think it's about challenging preconceptions, because I think when you take someone of his age and, and the circumstances and put them together and a, and a, and a teenage girl, uh, late teens, I think people naturally gravitate Okay. To is there something um, is there something carnal somehow in in, in it? Um, and, and I even feed it a little bit because I uh, after the first time that he touches her hand, uh, he admits to having an inappropriate uh, thought, right? Yeah. And it's a uh, so I, I wanted to to encourage it. I even go a bit further because she uses expressions like I love you and these kinds of things. But these are not, from her perspective, these are not romantic expressions. Um, these are expressions towards devotion to someone who supported her. So she, he, he helps build up her confidence. Yeah. Uh, he, he, um, he supports her. He believes in her and he keeps telling her that he believes in her. And, uh, but when you put the two together, yeah, it does. Uh, a stereotype appears in your mind. Uh, I want that stereotype to appear. So it worked <laughs> because I want to challenge it. I want yeah. to, cause there is nothing, uh, there's nothing, uh, there's nothing romantic or, 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 or untoward if you like in this relationship, but it is, um, it is a relationship that George even grapples on how to define. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it bothers him that he can't define it uh, because it's not romantic. And he's there. The age gap is too narrow for them to, to be really paternalistic. Although yeah. he's, he's an authority figure in her life. Oddly enough, he's because he's an, uh, an SL, but um, we don't, he actually is able to define it, but only on the last page of the book. Okay. Because some of the things I did like that he did, was when uh, Lamia takes down her, her oh, God. Nikab. You know what I mean? Nikab, right? yeah. Yeah, and he sees her entire face, and he's saying to her, please don't do that. Please don't do that, right? Because he doesn't want to see, because he, he is, in a way, trying to protect her, because he knows right. she's... The, the daughter of the, the captor, right? The person who's kidnapped her, right? Him, sorry. Yeah, okay. And I liked seeing that conflict with him. And so I'm wondering, this is George trying to protect her and trying to protect Lamia's father. And now... This would be what is considered the Stockholm effect, where he's being held captive and he's trying, like he's being held hostage, and he's trying to protect the people who are holding him hostage. You know what, Joanna? You are so astute. <laughs> okay. I'm just, I was, I'm trying, I'm reading this and I'm just like, hmm, I wonder. So anyways, tell me about that. Tell me about. Oh my goodness. So there is a, a major theme yeah. in the book around the Stockholm effect and um, or sometimes known as Stockholm syndrome. And, yeah. you know, I think just before, because there might be listeners that are not familiar with the, uh, with the Stockholm syndrome. So it dates back to the 1970s. There was a bank robbery in uh, Stockholm and um, the, uh, the robber took hostages and those hostages tried to help him. And that has now become known as the Stockholm effect. And so anytime someone physically or psychologically holds someone hostage yeah. and the victim responds with, uh, with sympathy, uh, that's considered um, uh, the Stockholm syndrome. Yeah. So in, this, in the book, you're right, it's fairly evident that uh, George succumbs to Stockholm syndrome. Yeah. Uh, he very much falls for one of his captors. Uh, he's anxious to protect Lamia yeah. and her father from, from repercussions. However, I, you know, I was a little sneaky in the writing. And I'm hoping readers might be compelled to ask if Tanya is also a victim of the uh, syndrome, of the okay. Stockholm syndrome. So she's not physically held, but in essence, her body and her mind are held captive to some degree yeah. so it's uh, it's something that i've and there's the you'll see that there's in the book if you were to read it very carefully that there's allusions to sweden and stockholm and what that come up through uh interesting in interesting points in this book to try and compel the reader to uh to maybe think about it you know what's 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 interesting so lamia also it's almost a reverse of Stockholm syndrome because it's very much reciprocal. Yeah. Um, and uh, he, uh, uh, she really tries to show him support as well. So it's, uh, it is Stockholm uh, syndrome, but it's, it's in a strange way because the captor, 
herself has also uh, tries to uh, tries to support her victim, if you write, or you know the person that she's supposed to hold. So, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. But very very astute. Well, it's 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 a it's how do I say this? It's I don't want to say it's a different story, but there's just you definitely write about different issues. Okay, that's what I'll say. Yeah, <laughs> right. That kind of gets you going. Hmm. Okay. So, <laughs> Gordon, it's always enjoyable talking with you, and I want to know. I saw on Facebook that you have an event happening in Chicago, and I wanted to know. Tell us a little bit about that event, and and what's next for you. Uh, Chicago, yeah, I'm uh, very excited to be going to Chicago. I uh, am going to be uh, speaking with some students at the University of Illinois. And then a few days uh, later on um, April 9th, uh, I'll be speaking at the Balzekis Museum of Lithuanian Culture. And that's actually open to the public, Joanna. So if there's listeners who are interested, I would love to meet them. Information is on the uh, museum's uh, museum's website. Uh, so uh, I'd love to uh, meet anyone who's uh, in the Illinois area that would uh, like to come and see me. That's cool. Uh, that's yes, so it cool. is. It's exciting. It's very uh, exciting. Um, I'm also working on... Um, like what, con- what country are we going to next? <laughs> well, here we are. Uh, we're, uh, you know, this, uh, it's, it's been, you, so you say, did you feel pressure, I think, at the beginning of this interview <laughs> to, 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 to write about, um, so I had kind of an unusual uh, uh, occurrence with writing my first, first book and getting so much support that I went back and wrote a second one. And, uh, but I, I have started a third one. I wasn't going to do it, uh, but there was a lot of pressure to talk about Vanna. And so there's a Vanna substory uh, and the continuation of her life. She's pregnant at the end of Lithuanian lullaby. And so this story actually, so angels uh, starts in 1997, just at the end of uh of uh, lullaby and uh, my new book uh, will also start at that period and but follow a different storyline and Joanna it's quite a fascinating so I talked about corruption and stuff that yeah. occurs in the 1990s so this is about a, a, a market trader I'm working on a book about a um, someone and so it was kind of an unusual economy in the 1990s throughout Eastern Europe. So you had people that would go from market to market yeah. and from and they would sell things to kiosks. So there's a little kiosk on every every other corner kind of things that would sell chocolates and beer and whatever they could get their hands on um, that could sell. And uh, but I uh, wanted to study that lifestyle. Oh wow. And it is quite disturbing in some ways. Okay. Because this is a a time of widespread corruption. Yeah. The the mob run that economic activity, right? They very much are taking percentages. They, they uh, depict themselves as being security firms. In fact, you're paying them for security from them, if that makes sense. <laughs> so it's a, uh, uh, although they do offer additional security services as, for that uh, as well to protect, mainly to protect them from competition. So uh, it, it's uh, it's been a fascinating uh, novel to to write, but and as always, it's dark. There's some dark stuff in here, but uh, I try to protect. I worked with a couple of um, ladies yeah. on this. They were who were in the business, and their lives ended very uh, well after this disturbing piece of their 
history. So I try to, uh, you know, it'll be an optimistic book. Uh, it's uh, not done yet. I'm uh, still working on some final drafts, but uh, I'm, I'm very excited. Should be out later this year. Cool. Well, we're going to have to talk about it. Okay. <laughs> you better believe it. Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, good, good. So anything you'd like to add before we wrap this up, Gordon? No, thanks, like John. It was great to see you again. Good. And uh, thanks for thanks for taking the time. And uh, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to uh, our next meeting. Yeah, you betcha. Okay, Gordon. And, and um, Ozzy didn't bark. I took him for a No! <laughs> he's, he's been and so you know, quiet. He has been so quiet. And <laughs> so have I, you know, I was a little worried because, so you have Ozzy. This uh, room that I'm uh, in today is cat infested. And uh, <laughs> if I were to, the, uh, sure. <laughs> Oh, know, <laughs> all of our uh, house is cat infested but this room is particularly popular so we did we uh, we never had that commotion either so yeah, yeah. good 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 give okay. ozzy my best i will, I will. <laughs> okay gordon cheerio thanks joanna <laughs>